If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. Welcome, friends. It's Podcast Unlocked, episode 480 for February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day, uh, and we're seeing Shepard's shadow once again emerge which we'll talk all about. Uh, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. Uh, joining me is our, our our permanent guest for the time being, Cam Hawkins. Cam, welcome back, my friend. I am ready to talk about Mass Effect. I'm Wait. stoked. You came dressed for the part, which I extra oh, appreciate. Ready. That that was not on your that was not on your call sheet, my friend. You you uh, improvised that wardrobe, <laughs> and I appreciate it. And also joining us, uh, longtime editor in chief of US Gamer. She hosts an RPG podcast. She actually took our Mass Effect demo for us and saw Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which we're going to be talking a lot about. Kat Bailey, good to see you, Kat. Hey, good to see you. And yes, I'm the host of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. And I really want one of those N7 hoodies that they used to be giving out. Those were really cool back in the day. Yeah, I I had one of the gray ones, and it's lost now. I don't know. I wore it. I, there are pictures of me somewhere. I think, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, even in that... There's there's like me and a there's a baby picture with my daughter and I'm wearing it so that's uh I don't know what happened to that sweater though maybe EA will will do another <laughs> run of it yeah so Kat for the audience that may not be super familiar with you even though you've been around the games industry for quite a while uh, introduce yourself real quick hey how you doing I'm Kat Bailey I like RPGs and I like sports games I host a podcast about one of those things which is RPGs. And I'm excited to talk about, uh, to be here because there's a lot to cover on that front. On both fronts. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. it really, we were joking off air. This is the perfect episode to, to have had you on. I mean, it, it was already going to be great because you and I both saw Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And then yep. the MLB The Show news breaks and you're a big Minnesota Twins fan, big baseball fan. I'm the only one, nobody else at IGN is, a, at least on the editorial team, is a big baseball fan. And then Ooh. today... The uh, college college uh, football news from EA. So we'll get to all that. Uh, in fact, you know what? Let's we should just start with Mass Effect. Uh, I was going to start with with the medium because I said last week we needed to do our homework and everybody play the medium and talk about it. But Mass Effect is the big news, so let's just jump right in and start there. 
so Kat, you have a, a very detailed, lengthy preview up on IGN.com right now, which I very much encourage everybody to read. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get gameplay footage of our own, so we couldn't do our usual thing and cut a nice scripted voiceover video preview. But you and I uh, did pair that long preview of yours with a with a 10-minute conversation video. Now we have the benefit of having way more than 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. uh, top-line thoughts, what were your overall thoughts of, of seeing a, a hands-off demo of Mass Effect Legendary Edition? Well, when I took a step back from it, I was like, well, this is a lot like Bluepoint's Uncharted Nathan Drake collection, which was a, an exemplary collection in a lot of ways. It does everything it needs to do from a tech standpoint. It upgrades it for to 4K60 if need be. It fixes a lot of the gameplay issues with Mass Effect while seemingly being respectful of the source material. It unifies Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 and has a universal character creator. It brings Femshep from Mass Effect 3 into all three versions. And so if you just look at the bullet points, uh, they're quite impressive. Uh, they, I think they, the fact that they led with the fact that it's gonna be on Unreal Engine 3 rather than Unreal, Unreal Engine 4, like stuck in my mind a little bit because I was thinking, okay, so they're being as practical as humanly possible with this particular episode, uh, with this particular release. They started it in June, 2019. So it's been under development for about a year and a half. It sounds like Casey Hudson like gave it the final push to get it out the door. And they're just staying as focused as possible because I'm sure that their experiences with Anthem and Mass Effect Andromeda are still kind of fresh in their mind. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's a good point that you bring up is they're, I think they just want, I mean, this this project, whether by design or not, is is their probably their uh, their biggest bullet as far as trying that they can fire to try and turn their their studio uh, image their reputation within the community around F- fair or not, uh, which I think it's probably more fair than not. They they're Bioware's reputation has taken a hit in recent years. Mm-hmm. With I mean, it really started with with the ending of Mass Effect 3 uh, and and really just kind of got a lot worse. It snowballed into Andromeda and then, as you mentioned, Anthem. But yeah, this this clearly uh, is is a good chance for them to to try and rehabilitate their reputation. Now, Cam, from from what you you did not get to see the demo that we saw and get the walkthrough oh. from Bioware, but you've been seeing the coverage. You've seen the new trailer. Yeah. What did you make of what you've seen so far? Uh, I think that this is what I expected it to be. Like, I, I think the big question before seeing, um, you know, getting the preview and uh, from IGN and things like that, and is that what was the big changes for Mass Effect One? Like, Mass Effect One is, you know, almost across the board a very big difference compared to Mass Effect Two and Three. When it comes to gameplay, the R- the RPG elements, um, the whole nine yards in that sense. So for me, and I think a lot of people are just like, okay, how does it look visually? Uh, how does how's the cover system? Because the cover system isn't great in the first game. How does the Mako feel when you drive it? Because that wasn't also very great in the first game either. So it's just more of those like, um, you know, big cons of the first game that I was wondering what how big of a difference that they were making it into the trilogy. Um, and another thing that like we'll go over, uh, I assume we're going to go over as well, which for me is a little bit disappointing, but I understand 
why Bioware uh, chose to do so is the lack of uh, Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. I really enjoyed the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, and uh, that being omitted from this collection is also uh, relatively upsetting. But, um, you know, from everything that I've seen right now, this is this is about what I expected it to be, um, I, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to playing it. You know, I didn't, is, is Mako, is, is it a, is it a Mako, Mako, tomato, tomato thing? I've always heard it as Mako. I've, uh... Mako? Did I say Mako? Did it's I say Mako? Reactor. I meant Mako. I meant, I didn't, I didn't mean Mako. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've been playing no, too much good. Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's Mako in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mako in Mass Effect. Yeah, that's go. probably it. That's probably there you it. Go. Well, Cat, well, uh, <laughs> why don't you speak right to Cam's first concern that he brought up there? Because you covered this in your piece as mm-hmm. well and speak to what Bioware had to say about Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. Well, so on the case of the Mako uh, tank, they have definitely improved it. They've improved the physics from what they were telling me. And they've also uh, updated the controls. And it sounds like it's going to be faster. So... If you played the original Mass Effect, the Mako is kind of a nightmare to maneuver. I, if I recall correctly, it's constantly flipping over, oh, yeah, <laughs> like it's spinning around. And there are multiple set pieces within that game that are really dependent on the Mako. And in fact, in Mass Effect Andromeda, one of the big things that they wanted to do was rehabilitate the Mako uh, to you know, various success. I think it ended up being pretty good, one of the positive points about that game. So... They're doing what they need to do with the Mako tank, and I think that's kind of emblematic of the approach that they're taking with Mass Effect Legendary Edition as a whole. As for the multiplayer, I think that it's a little disappointing for sure because I think actually Mass Effect 3 multiplayer is really good. And I mean, the fact that its quality is kind of spoken to by the fact that it still has an audience of people who are still actively playing it. But when I asked them about it, they said, Well, you know, we had so many questions that we had to answer about it. We had to figure out the questions of cross-play, which would have obviously been expected. How do we do right by the people who are still playing it, being able to import all of their uh, progress into the actual collection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were just like, well, the scope would have gotten out of control and we're staying very focused. So that's why multiplayer isn't in there. And again, that speaks to the fact that Bioware doesn't want this to get out of control they're staying, they're very, very practical and they are going to get this out of the door, gosh darn it. Yeah, and I think that that sort of, it, it sort of everything points back to that. Cause even, you know, the, the other way to look at that, like from a from a business reality perspective, Kat, you've been around a long time as I have. And, mm. you know, the reality is EA doesn't have, Bioware, I should say more specifically, doesn't have an unlimited budget for, this remaster because they know it's you know that they have a forecast for what the sales ceiling is going to look like on mm-hmm. a reissue of this trilogy and you know it might it hopefully is going to do very well but but the reality is uh, putting in multiplayer would have added time and scope to the project which mean which means it would have added budget and what you were referencing early on which stuck in my craw too about mac walters the the project director of this uh, a longtime mass effect veteran at bioware when he when he started talking about well we talked to Epic about moving the whole thing to Unreal Engine four and and he sort of explained why but at the end of the day it it kind of was well that would have been too much work and I don't mm. say that to implicate that they're you know imply that they're lazy or anything but they have a scope and a budget and to to have put in multiplayer and or moved it to Unreal four would have added you know who knows how much time and thus how much money to the project so. I think you're you're really right. You've you've hit the nail on the head that 
It's they just didn't want to screw this up. And so it's stay, stay true to it. And that's why I think the headline that you came up with for your piece is perfect. And it really sums it up well, although I encourage everybody to read your whole thing. It's this Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It seems like it's going to be a good bit more than a remaster, but less than a remake. That's that seems like a, a I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, Ryan. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that Mass- Bioware just doesn't want to screw this up because Mass Effect is one of their most enduring works. They it has a huge fan base still. I mean, just how often do you see this big of a reaction and this big of a media push for a remastered reissue version? Not often. This is being treated as basically a AAA release. And so I know that Bioware is saying we got to rehabilitate the brand. We need to get some momentum spun up for the next Mass Effect. We are going to not take any chances whatsoever by going to new technology. But at the same time, we're going to make sure that we tick every single box to make sure that the fans are happy. And at the end of the day, it might be the right approach because the alternative might have been going full-blown Resident Evil 2-style remake. And I just don't see how they could have done that for a full trilogy. They would have had to do like the original Mass Effect released as a standalone thing, which might have been compelling on its own. But then suddenly you're talking about a multi-year project. Oh, Does yeah. Two, three want years. That? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. One game. Yeah, <laughs> no. exactly. Um, now, we should mention, uh, as I've, I've failed as a host, to mention one of the key pieces of information, if you haven't seen it yet, the release date is May 14th for this, which means uh, suddenly May is is feels like when really 2021 hits its stride from a gaming perspective because you've got the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, you've got Biomutant, you've got um, Resident Evil 8, Resident Evil Village, and I think there's one more that I'm blanking on right now. There's another big game in May as well. Oh, uh, well, Deathloop, that's, P- that's a PlayStation exclusive, yeah, so not relevant to this this podcast but um yeah may 14th is the date so cam i'm sort of curious from you as a super fan of the series yeah. what questions do you have about this that maybe cat and i would be able to speak to having having got to sit in on this with bioware well see like your your preview coverage answered a lot of my questions which is more or less like how how mass effect one has been updated uh, but I, you know, I think that like, you know, like does the does the cover system feel like smoother? Because I know that the, you know they fixed in Mass Effect two and three where it's a lot more easy to like just latch on to, uh, you know, a cover and then move. And it's like it's you know it's a lot more. Uh, it flows a lot better in the first game. I remember it was like a lot clunk clunkier in the first game where you're like kind of standing up straight and it looks like really awkward. And you know, uh, when it comes you to the combat the first one just like in kotor the game the game that the team did before that the pausing i think the pausing went out the window for mass effect 2 if i remember right yeah you have to remember that yeah. the original mass effect came out like a year after gears of war and everybody was going wow yeah. cover systems this is amazing so yeah. everybody was just kind of trying to figure it out at that time and mass effect bless its heart the original mass effect is so ambitious and yet so clunky one of the things that i enjoyed talking about was how uh, Kevin Meek, the environmental artist, was saying how the final set piece in the original Mass Effect blew his mind because it's set in zero gravity and the level is rotating at 90 degree angle and you have biotics that can throw people into space. And he was saying, what the heck were these people thinking when they were making this? I love it. But it really speaks to the ambition and the craziness of the original Mass Effect. 
And 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 that's why uh, actually, yeah, Cam, I want to get you on record here. So first, Cat, <laughs> just say okay. what your favorite Mass okay. Effect is. Okay. Cat, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay, my uh, Mass Effect one is the best. That's the right answer. Good job. No, no. <laughs> no like, Cam. Here's the thing. There's, it's, oh, there's always multiple camps. Uh, Cam, it sounds like you're a Mass Effect 2 guy. Mass Effect 2 is my third favorite game of all time. Nice. Uh, I, I love Great Mass choice. Effect 2. Great choice. And, I mean, Mass Effect 2 is a, an amazing game. And I think, I, I do think that, like, I get why, though, okay, I'm not going to, like, ex- like, speak for you guys, like, this is why you guys like Mass Effect 1 more, but I can see, like, <laughs> those that do like Mass Effect 1, like, the RPG elements are much more much more depth than yeah. two and three. Like one hundred percent agree with that. A lot more variety in what you can do. Like I think Mass Effect Two. Like my biggest complaint in Mass Effect Two is the lack of customization uh, that it has with weapon choice and things like that. Um, but you know, so with Mass Effect One, like that was not an issue, and I and I, it, it it was one of those things. Like it was it was nice, but then it was also just like you, I, I felt like you got too many weapons to the point where like i was just like ah no this isn't better than the weapon that i already have and things like that and you know I, I, but I, I think that i think that that aspect the rpg elements at um, elemental aspect of the first game is much stronger than two and three but i think when it comes to like the story and the characters and things like that and, and you know i think that mass effect 2 is the strongest but um that's you know that's that's how i feel this week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by nord vpn hey if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Cat, tell him why he's wrong. I'm, I'm just kidding, Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are all fair points. I think that the original Mass Effect connects more readily with Bioware's past. I mean, there's a great moment where you can get the villain to shoot himself in the head, right? I mean, that is straight up 90s RPG Fallout stuff right there. But beyond that, I think that there are a lot of things that, little details that I love about the original Mass Effect that didn't carry over into Mass Effect 2 and 3. Like, for example, when you land on a planet for the first time with the Normandy, and the way that you step out of the, smoothly step out the door and you're on a planet, right? There's a seamlessness to it. Whereas Mass Effect 2 adds loading screens and that kind of thing. That's fine and all, but I kind of prefer the Mass Effect 1 approach. And not only that, I think it tells a really good, complete story um, yeah. in the way that you're interacting with the console. It does such an effective job of building up the universe. Uh, the final battle, like everybody talks about how the suicide mission is the best. And I totally agree. The suicide mission is amazing. But so the original good. Mass Effect has a great final battle. Great oh, set yeah. piece. One of the best of all time, yeah. I think. And just the oh, yeah. whole the whole process in Mass Effect 1 of of earning your N7, of that, of mm-hmm. just that whole thing is so good. Um, I think, you know, thinking about it as listening to you guys talk for me, again, I've always preferred one to two, even though, you know, two is great as well. And I, and I still, I love three also, but I agree. I like three um, a lot too. In fact, three really like, it's basically up until that, the ending ending, like even, I I won't spoil it for anybody because there are going to be a lot of listeners out there playing it for the first time, but the, the lead up to the very end of the game when you're you know there's there's a lot of people you're talking to in that run-up like i think all that's amazing but uh getting back to one uh, listening to you guys talk about one versus two i think for me it's two is really more about like the character the specific like interpersonal relationships are amazing Mm -hmm. in two yes yes but the (laughs) but the the world isn't as good like I always point to, I was always so let down in two by the fact that the Citadel, which was this sprawling, massive, it felt like the hub of the universe where everybody came to in the first one. It was literally a two room, like mini level. Like it was just, it was like yeah. two rooms in Mass yeah. Effect. So I was like, what the heck is this? But in, Ma- in, Ma- in Mass Effect 1, with the Citadel, with all the planets you land on, it it really feels like it's it's all about the place. It's a it feels like this space opera that it's set out to be. Whereas I think Mass Effect Two, as I said, it's the the interpersonal relationships are stronger, but the 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 world isn't as good. It would be you didn't like be scanning planets, Ryan. Oh, I, I'll tell you, I got Scanning planets. I love that mini game. I love that mini game. I legitimately did. I was just like, this is fun. Like I can spend, like, I get it. It's like, it's, it's very like tedious, but like for me, I'm just like, this is cool. And just like the feeling in the controller when you shoot the probe and then like you, you get the resources, it had this level of satisfaction that I just can't explain, but I love doing that. Um, like granted it's uh, obviously it was a way to kill time, but I get that, but I mean, I really like that mini game. And when it comes, yeah, when it comes to the characters, um, yeah, I, I think that's the main thing. It's just like 
the whole cast of characters in Mass Effect 2 is just so great. Like, Legion is my favorite Mass Effect character. Like, he's one of my... Like, I, I love Legion. Um, uh, and I love the Elusive Man. The Elusive Man is probably my favorite villain in a video game. I, um, absolutely. Uh, Martin Sheen's performance was, like, is incredible. Um, Evil President Bartlett. <laughs> yeah. Mord, Morden, uh, Morden Thane. Like, just so many, like, unique, quotable characters. It's and and just like how those the the development of the, those relationships go into three is just so great, like bittersweet to say the least. Um, without getting into spoilers, it's uh it's it's a really just a beautiful game when, when learning like meeting those characters and and developing their 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 relationship with Shepard. It's it's so great. Uh, Cam, you yeah, you Cam. mentioned kind of hit on transitioning between the games cat how how is that working the 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 wrapper of the trilogy and the like so how how is it working to go from game to game well there's going to be a launcher it's fairly simple it has mass effect one two and three and then when you finish the game it boots you right back to the launcher and then it's time to go to mass effect two it would have been kind of cool if they almost went like with a binge model with netflix where it goes uh, continue on to Mass Effect 2, right? Because when you finish Mass Effect 1, you're, I think a, maybe people might put down the controller, but I feel like you're so hyped up because Mass Effect 1 ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? You're just like, I want to keep going. Let's go. Oh, yeah. The story reveal is so good. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's almost a little like, it sounds like it's going to be kind of like the Master Chief collection where it's, you know, you've got everything mm. in a hub menu. And, you know, if you, if you were to play yeah. through, Halo One uh, in Master Chief Collection, and then finish it. It's it's not gonna. T it doesn't take you straight into Halo Two. You do come back uh, to the menu. But, and uh, and one 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 last thing I want to say about Mass Effect Two, like literally one of the best openings to a video game ever. So good. Oh God, yes. Especially when you find the Normandy on the planet, and you're going through it, and you're finding all the little props and everything. That was a DLC in the original game, but it was totally worth it, even though it was just this itty bitty little mission. And that's the thing with this Mass Effect Legendary Edition is that it's gonna have all the DLC. So you'll be able, to, and it's integrated seamlessly into it. So you'll be able to just go and do a lot of those little flourishes that were missing from the original game if you didn't spring for the extra money for Project $10 or whatever. But it, now, is, it is, I was gonna say, it is worth noting that uh, apparently Pinnacle Station will not be in the Mass Effect 1 remaster. That was really? something that was that oh. was something that was announced on Game Informer right before we started recording. Oh, well, I know they have the okay. it's their cover story for this month. So yeah, got, apparently they apparently they lost the code for it. Oh, they lost the so, code for it. That's what they said. Oh my that's god! What, that's they what they said. to mention that during our demo. <laughs> I'm, I'm wow. sure. I wonder why. <laughs> um. All right. Before we talk a little bit more about Legendary Edition, I do. So we, we've we there are two conversations to have uh, with in any Mass Effect chat. One we just had, which is which one's your favorite, uh, and two, uh, I want to go to each of you here: Paragon or Renegade or somewhere in between. Cat, you first. I was a Renegon. So yeah. In oh, the original oh, a Renegon. <laughs> In the original, does Mass that mean Effect, you, leaned, you leaned evil, but what didn't go didn't go all the way evil, or you started evil original, and you went to good? In the original Mass Effect, I start, I was pure evil, like I was doing all of the stuff with the the bad stuff with the Rachni, and the final decision, I was evil. 
Apparently, I was basically a human supremacist. It was terrible. But my character, who meets all of these alien crew members, slowly but surely has a change of heart and realizes the error of her ways. And over the course of the three games, develops into a paragon. So, uh, also, I wanted to get cosmetic surgery in Mass Effect 2 because if you're going Renegade, it's like, ooh, I just don't like that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> you start to show it. Yeah, it's, uh... Well, Cam, how about you? I'm curious now. Uh, I've played. I think I've played through the trilogy at least two or three times at this point. And I, and I, I like. I, I never have done an all Renegade run, but I, I always just go all Paragon. Uh, I just. It's just. I don't know. Just like. Uh, I always like doing being the good person in in games. But I definitely plan on finally doing a Renegade run uh, this time around. I and I'm in the same boat. I I went pretty darn evil in the first. The first and. Actually, first and only time. I've only played the trilogy once. I played each game as they came out, uh, and never I've have just never gone back and replayed them. So that's why I'm. This will be my first time playing Mass Effect One since 2007. So Jeez. I'm really looking forward to it. But wow. yeah, Kat, you you really hit on it. Like, I mean, some of the stuff. And and for me, it comes back to because again, you cat. Like, you mentioned something really uh, smart about about the cover system, how it came out a year after Gears of War when when like covers third person cover systems weren't really an established thing. And it's kind of the same thing for me with uh with with a game supporting your good or evil choice in a in a consequential story way. The first game that I remember really doing that was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which was made by the exact same team. It was their game before Mass Effect 1. And I just, I went full dark side because it's like a game is actually going to let me do this and it's going to have narrative consequence. And it was, it was so much fun to see, to explore where that went. So I did the same thing for, for Mass Effect. And you were, I mean, I think it's Mass Effect 2 pretty early on when you can, there's a renegade choice to just like push someone off of a building and it's and uh, <laughs> of course you can you can punch a reporter in Mass Effect One. Yeah, uh, there's there's just like it's fun seeing what crazy stuff the game allows you to do when you go when you go uh, full Renegade. I'm gonna blow um, your mind really quickly. Yeah. Mass Effect One came out four years after Kotor, so that's how close they are relatively on the timeline. And like it feels yeah. like Kotor came out way like much longer ago than mass effect but actually no they're like pretty close to one another yeah you're totally right it was uh summer of 03 for kotor i remember that well and then fall of 07 for for mass effect um, and ea hadn't purchased bioware yet at this point right it was yeah, a microsoft was... published mm -hmm. it was an exclusive uh, the yep. first game exclusive and so was the second one i think but then i think at that point ea had bought them and then they, I think they ported, they, well, ported, they brought two over to PlayStation 3 not too long after, but the first yeah. two debuted on Xbox. Yeah, if yeah, I remember. Effect, go ahead, Cam. I was going to say, if I remember correctly, I think it had like a year's exclusivity deal for a mass, uh, for a Microsoft for Xbox, and then it went to PS3 shortly after. Yeah, well, the original Mass Effect 1 came out on Xbox 360 and was just initially completely exclusive, and then Mass Effect 2 comes out. Ex again, exclusively on 360, but I think it was about a year later in 2011, because I remember covering it for GamePro, um, when the PS3 version came out and it included the Genesis comics, which allowed you that even though you didn't have access to the original Mass Effect, you were able right. to go through your story and create your character. And actually, they've included the Genesis comics in this collection as well, which is really nice. 
Nice. Well, uh, overall, the uh, just seeing the the reaction in the community to our preview coverage, to the new trailer, to kind of the general response here, it, it seems like people really are excited to play this. And and I know I I want to hear from each of you because I'm really excited to roll this again. Because again, as I said, I only played them once as they came out. Uh, and and Kat, you were you were talking about how. You know, the, it was a really ambitious game on the 360, but it it had the epic elevator rides, which I know actually you can speak <laughs> to that. And the the frame rate was was you know 30 at best back in mm. back in the original days. So I, I just can't wait to dive into this again because by now I've probably forgotten enough of at least the little things that a lot of it will feel new to me again. And uh, yeah, Kat, do you want to talk before we move on to the the next subject? Because we've already been talking for 30 minutes about this. <laughs> just about some of the other quality of life improvements to Mass Effect 1 specifically. I mean, the elevator one is a huge one, right? Because they were showing a side-by-side -side clip of, in a Legendary Edition, it's done in about 14 seconds, and it's actually skippable. And they include the the actual conversation still. It's just much shorter. Whereas in Mass Effect 1, it's almost a minute. And I my brain was almost melting at how long it was taking. It was completely wild. And then they also add in the aim assists. Uh, that, that was a big one for sure is adding in the aim assist. And then they still have the aim cone from the original game. So it's still stats driven, but it's a lot more forgiving. And they're definitely trying to go for that feeling that you had in Mass Effect 2 where the shooting is more skill based, but at the same time, trying to not completely dispense with what made Mass Effect 1 unique. So I think they're making the right call on that front. And then uh, what were some of the other little things? Like I know boss encounters were tweaked here and mm. there, and what were some of the, the few other things that they are adjusting? Yeah, well, that was a big one. Uh, they've made some definite changes to, for example, they've added a lot more autosave points. There's a particular boss fight in the original Mass Effect where if you died, you got sent back quite a ways. And so you would have to backtrack a long way to get back to that particular boss fight. So they've like tweaked things like auto save points and that kind of thing. Well, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, May 14th is the date to circle. If the, if there are, I know there are people out there watching or listening to this that have never played the trilogy because there's always a new generation of gamers coming in. I envy you if you are going to be playing this for the first time. Uh, at, at 4K60, no less. So um, I guess the one other quick thing I'll note is it will run on the Series X, but it is not optimized for Series X. This is a current gen, or if you want to call it last gen release, it's, it is for Xbox One. Uh, and the the 4K60, I believe, is on the, it is on the Xbox One X as well. And then, of course, Series X as well. I guess... I presume, Kat, they didn't say, but I guess on if you're playing on a stock, on a base Xbox One, mm. it must be, you know, 1080, well, maybe 1080, I guess it's still 60, right? So Definitely not going to be 4K, uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure it'll look really good. Um, I also, when I asked them about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X version, they said that they, beyond the faster load times and stuff, that they would have, quote, uh, they would unlock a few more of the technological aspects if you happen to be playing on the next-gen consoles. So even though there won't be an optimization patch per se, um, and they're not going to release a native version, um, 
it does sound like there will be some meaningful enhancements for people who are playing on next-gen consoles, which is great because I'm going to play on my PS5. Yeah, uh, I'm going to play it on the on the Series X and and throw that Same. SSD hard drive at it. So that should help there you go. Those, those, uh, those loading times in the elevators even more. All right, uh, next up this week, baseball. If if you don't care about baseball, you can go ahead and fast forward probably about five minutes through this through this next segment. But who doesn't care about baseball? Come on, I know, right? It's, it's America's uh, pastime. Cam is over there hitting the fast forward button. Like, let's move to the next segment. But uh, this, I I have been waiting for this day, and Cat, you have as well. Hmm. Uh, for for it turns out eight years. Eight years oh is God. how long. Uh, it's been since we've had a quality simulation baseball, Major League Baseball game on Xbox. MLB The Show, which had been announced last year as coming to Xbox. Uh, but what was interesting is at the time, Kat, they said as early as 2021. And I don't know about you, but when the pandemic hit and Game developers, most of them got very justifiably slowed down by having to, you know, everybody go home and everything's kind of slowed down. I thought it that meant forget it. It's going to be 2022 for MLB, the show on Xbox. But no, here we are. It's coming now. Yeah, I think that one thing that stands out to me about Sony San Diego is that they are a veteran team that have been around a very long time. They don't go anywhere like you. One of the things that you'll notice at EA is that there's a lot of turnover, especially in the games, because, you know, you're making the same game basically over and over again, and people get burned out. But at Sony San Diego, people have stuck around, so they know their business, they know what they're doing, and they consistently put out a really strong product that has a ton of new features. And so I suppose on the one hand, I could have totally imagined the pandemic completely screwing up everything, especially with a next-gen transition. They could have pushed it back another year, but they're like, nope. We're uh, we're ready to uh, put this game out right now. And that just kind of, I think, speaks to the way that Sony San Diego uh, consistently kind of moves above expectations for what they're putting out on a yearly basis. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to pull up um, while you're while we're talking here, the, the just to illustrate to people how good this series is, mm-hmm. is MLB the show. Let's see. Last year's last year's game. The Metacritic on it was 83. Let's try the year before that. It was 86. I mean, this is a this is a series that is just consistently excellent. Uh, and it is it is happening this year. So it'll be out in April. Um Kat is, I mean, is MLB the show the best baseball game since what MVP05, maybe? Well, it's the best sports game right now, bar none. I don't think there is a better sports game unless you count Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> Actually, one of the maybe, things that always uh, kind of... Maybe. I mean, it won best game, uh, best mm. sports game during um, the Game Awards yeah, last I year. I guess it is an Olympic sport, so I guess I should, I yeah. should, I should shut up. But if you look <laughs> at, say, Madden, NHL, FIFA, and you look at their Metacritics, they're quite low. I think Madden was in the 60s just recently. And NBA 2K, while they consistently put out a really like polished game in many ways, um, one of the problems that people have with it is the huge number of microtransactions. Whereas MLB The Show, it looks really good. They get all of the actual game day features. Like They do a really good job of capturing the feeling of being at each individual park. 
And they're really smart about the way that they handle their ultimate team mode. It's called Diamond Dynasty. It is connected into every single one of their single player offerings, their career mode, their road to the show, that kind of thing. And if you look at just every single mode, there's not a weak spot among them. Every one of them gives you a baseball experience that I think is really meaningful and really strong. And I think that they have really good ideas on the regular. Like they had something called March to October uh, that came out a couple of years ago where you basically could play through a whole season, whole 162 game season, but they would have specific moments where you're like, okay, now you're coming in and you need to close out the game as a closer. You're just going to do one inning. You're done. Great. You won. Now you have momentum. Your team is going to win a whole bunch more. And then at the end, you get awards for Diamond Dynasty. It's a really smart, really thoughtful baseball product. And this is a series that has always excelled. I mean, the, the key components to any good baseball game are, is the hitting good? Is the pitching good? Mm-hmm. Is the fielding good? And it's great in, in all three. Uh, the, the show excels in all three. And, and you mentioned, I mean, the animations are always fantastic. It just mm-hmm. looks so good. It looks so, so real. And uh, so, yeah, if you are a, a long suffering Xbox owning baseball fan, like, uh, like us, this is the year you're, you know, we're, it'll be out in, let's see, it's February now. So it's about two and a half months away. MLB, the show will be coming day and date to the Xbox one and the Xbox series X. It is worth mentioning though. There's no, Smart delivery on this one from the Sony game. So if the only way to get, uh, if, if you were to buy it for Xbox One, uh, you would have to rebuy it for Series X later, unless you buy the more expensive edition, which is kind of how NBA 2K did it. So just as a, you know, agree or disagree, that's the that's the public service announcement. That's how uh, it is being handled. Kat, how do you like your your twins this year? I think the Twins are going to be good, but teams like the Yankees, unfortunately, are just always at that kind of next level. And I think the Padres, interestingly enough, have been making a lot of moves in the offseason. So I think that, per usual, the uh, the competition in the American League is going to be really stiff. I think the White Sox are going to be making a big run for the American League Central. But the teams are the Twins got this really good shortstop, um, Andrelton Simmons, who is an amazing defensive infielder. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. How are you feeling about the Diamondbacks? Less less good every year. It, it looked like oh, we no. were kind of we were kind of on the up and up, uh, yeah. and then they Mike Hayes and the general manager really just went ahead and sold off. Uh, mm. during the, the 2020 pandemic shortened season, we'd made it, we'd gotten a couple of, uh, of really nice acquisitions, Starling Marte wasn't working out. We weren't going anywhere. I mean, it's tough. We've got the Dodgers in our division who have won, who've literally won the division for seven or eight years in a row. And obviously they're the, they're the reigning world series champions. So it's tough, but, uh, we'll see. I mean, our, I'm just happy that my diamondbacks are run by smart people now. Cause for many years, they weren't. They were run by Tony Larusa, who, uh, who you know, for for being a Hall of Fame manager is a a Hall of Shame general manager. So I'm just glad he's he's long gone. But I was, in Chicago now. I, was, I, was, I was I was going he's to ask, like, are the, uh, I was like, are the Diamondbacks like the Jets of the MLB or something like Thankfully, that? Thankfully, it's not that okay. bad. Okay, it's not uh, that bad. Okay. No, they've actually won this century. Okay. Yeah, well, they have. Yeah, they have Arizona Pro Sports's only professional championship, the 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 wow. the classic seven game World Series with the yeah, Yankees the in two thousand one. One of the mm. best World Series ever, and I say that not 
like objectively, that's not just as a Diamondback <laughs> fan. That was an, an incredible series. But anyway, uh, more sports. So, hey, if you don't care about sports, fast forward some more. College football, uh, EA Sports, they, all the college video games stopped uh, after the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, which if you're not familiar with that, look it up. Basically, uh, it was ruled in court that that uh, these that the NCAA and these and video game companies could no longer just more or less exploit the college players who weren't being paid anything by using their their likeness, their stats, etc. And so, col- EA Sports college NCAA college football went away, as did the basketball games, which were pretty good actually. But cat football NCAA football is coming back. Wow, I'm surprised because I kind of always felt that the player likeness issue was going to be too big of a stumbling block. But just reading through ESPN's kind of rundown of everything that's happening with this, it sounds like actually EA EA claims that the reason that they canceled it in the first place was because a lot of conferences and schools were no longer as interested in using sharing their logos and that kind of thing. So they were like, well, it can't be a bit enough of a sim experience, so we're just going to move away from it. But now that issue has been resolved, apparently they're going to have something like 100 licenses for different schools, and they're still going to go back to having the player likenesses who aren't really the players. They're just auto-generated, but, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. They're definitely college football players, which kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit because I think the players should actually be compensated for being part of this game. But it sounds like EA has struck an accord. Meanwhile, because NCAA went away and Madden had kind of a rough uh, generation, there's a ton of nostalgia for NCAA 14. A lot of people remember it very well. And honestly, while it was really buggy in many ways, I thought that it had a certain character to it. I love the career mode where you would, uh, it was, I think it was called Road to Glory, if I recall correctly, where yeah, you would right. rise up through high school. And they did such a great job with the high school stuff and getting into college and everything. And so I'm looking forward to having that back. They better have that back. <laughs> the interesting thing to me is on, on more of the logistics side on the development it, for just, this is, this is subjectively, I'm just kind of reading what I remember about the community, but I feel like uh, the, the generally NCAA football was kind of seen as the better game compared to Madden. Mm. Is that Was that a yeah. fair assessment, Kat? I think that people are looking at it with rose-colored glasses, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, because in the day, people would complain constantly about how freaking buggy these games really were. But I think that people are remembering it fondly because it was a time before Ultimate Team truly took over. Uh, NCAA 14 was the first game in that series to actually even have Ultimate Team. So, And it had really strong single-player modes. It had, as I already mentioned, a not just a great career mode with Road to Glory, but a really terrific franchise mode, whatever you would call it in college football. And I just, people have been really disappointed by Madden's franchise mode for quite a while now. And I think that there's some hope that it can get back to where it was. But again, I think people have a little bit of rose colored glasses because when NCAA 14 was around, it was very buggy and it had its share of gameplay issues. It's just that that was the last one. People haven't been able to play it for quite a while. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm where I was kind of going with that was I'm curious to see, like, I, I would imagine that a lot of the, the development team members from NCAA college football folded into the Madden team. Mm. And now, you know, I wonder how many of the original 
developers from NCAA from, you know, like you said, what, eight years ago, will now work on this new one or if they'll just need to staff up with with some new folks. Cam, Cam, are you a, are you a college sports fan at all? College sports fan, really? Um, more basketball than anything, which is weird. Like I like I only care about the NFL when it comes to professional sports, but then when it comes to college, I care about basketball. Yeah. But uh, but no, I think regarding the whole uh, NCAA like Madden, which one like was more beloved? I feel like because I remember kind of having that idea, that feeling that people like the the college football games as well. But I also don't feel like I think that was like kind of like during the dark ages of the Madden games where they like just really weren't that great at all um and they kind of you know picked up in recent years despite still not being where like we would like them to be um but yeah no it's it, it's cool i mean you know it's cool for those that are uh, about college football that's coming back i personally am still waiting for ea sports big to return i want nba street <laughs> i want nfl street uh like now that this mass effect remaster is out Come ssx on. yeah no now that this mass effect uh remasters happening the only remaster i want is nba street volume 2 remastered like oh, the, be the, really the best sports game ever made if you ask me so i'm like I, I, that's what i want but you know dream big you'll find a lot of sympathy among sports gamers <laughs> yes yeah that was those were good days for sure mm -hmm. all right enough the sports talk is over i promise so everybody come <laughs> on back if you if you left uh let's talk let's talk about an equally exciting topic Microsoft's earnings report, money and numbers and dollars. But no, oh the, news, the news is all good here. Xbox hardware revenue is way up as Microsoft reports record earnings this past quarter. A uh, gaming, the gaming division specifically has is up 51% uh, revenue wise. The company wow. as a whole, all, all of Microsoft, so not just Xbox, but everything, a record-breaking $43.1 billion in revenue uh, in the most recent financial earnings report for the period ending December 31st. Microsoft shared that revenue increased by 17% to reach that $43.1 billion, and $15 billion of that is profit. So it's just straight into the bank, pure profit, $15 billion in a single quarter. Hardware saw the biggest growth Thanks to the launch of the new Xbox Series X and S, Microsoft says the gaming hardware segment grew 86% thanks to the new hardware, though the company hasn't shared exact numbers. I find that telling because, as we know, the S and X are totally supply constrained. They would be selling many more if they could actually get them produced. So that makes that number even more impressive. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, revenue up 51% overall in games with Xbox and services revenue up 40%. The growth has been attributed to third-party titles, Game Pass subscriptions, and first-party titles. According to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella during the conference call, Xbox Game Pass, and here's the underlined part, Xbox Game Pass now has 18 million subscribers. Those, the numbers also don't take into account Microsoft's ZeniMax acquisition, which it says it is expected to close later this year. Uh, Cam, first up, 18 million subs. That is, uh, that is some impressive growth. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's 3 million more than the last time we got an update. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Um, and, you know, the $15 billion in profit, like, 
you know, we thought how big of an acquisition Zenimax Bethesda was last year, and it's just, and they were just like, well, already made that money back, <laughs> like, and, and, and almost double, like, double that. So it's just like, you know, so uh, seeing that they're uh, still looking to uh, quote unquote make a Bethesda-sized acquisition uh, as well this year is uh it's like you know there's nothing to worry about they got the money <laughs> it, it, um so that's so that's exciting um and yeah uh 18 18 million is insane they you know that it, again like game pass is their forefront it is the, the poster boy of, of their platform at this point and um they you know they just want to get as many people as they can on that um subscription service as they can and um you know, it obviously is working, like whether it be like the, hey, join Game Pass for a dollar a month or, you know, and then go from there. There's there's so many ways for them that they've been trying to get people onto Game Pass that I, I think they found a lot of success with. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they're probably going to continue doing the same type of uh, direction moving forward. You hit on something in there that I think is is a really good bit of context for people to understand the rapid growth of Game Pass. You said it's up three million from from the last quarterly report, which means they're adding a million subs a month, a month to Game Pass uh, at their current rate. I mean, that's that is wild. Cat um, uh, as a uh, as as somebody who's a little more platform neutral in her day to day life than than I am here with with unlocked at IGN, is is Sony at risk of kind of giving Microsoft too big a head start before launching some kind of genuinely apples to apples kind of service? I think so. I think that Xbox has really shown that it means business just generation just by all of the acquisitions. And I think Game Pass is just a really good service. I have been playing my Xbox a lot this year. And that's a large part because of Game Pass. I'm going out and like we're doing a, a game club right now. And we're playing Final Fantasy VIII. And hey, look, Final Fantasy VIII's right there. Yakuza Remastered, the entire collection, right there. Control. It was, And I think that Sony's offerings just don't quite compare on that front. And it's a little confusing to me why, like Sony had plenty of time. They knew what that this was coming, right? We knew that Xbox Game Pass was a thing back in 2017 and they already had the existing infrastructure with PlayStation Now. So honestly, I'm a little baffled why they haven't matched up with Xbox in terms of Game Pass. Yeah, I mean, it's and I'm, I don't say this to discount Sony because obviously if they launched something and they and they decided... Well, we know we can put all of our first party stuff in here too, just like Microsoft did. And their first party portfolio is so strong that that would that would certainly entice a lot of people. But you know, there there is a point where you know it's it's as of now an 18 million subscriber head start. And mm. look no further than I I think a fair comparison is the 360 versus the PS3 came. You know, the, the, there was a one year head start for the Xbox 360. And that did not end that super well for, for Sony. Not that it ended badly, but but Microsoft was right. You know, the, they were they were equal. They were on equal footing when if Sony had launched the PlayStation 3 at the same time as the 360, you know, that might have been a different story for the generation. So it's it's kind of strange to me to see history kind of repeating itself. And 
and Sony not uh, not having launched something similar, but but you got to figure. One of the pro- I think one Go of the ahead. things. I think Sony is reluctant to put their first party games day and date on a Xbox or like a Game Pass type service, whereas Microsoft is a, le- a lot less shy about that. And so I don't know, maybe that's why they've been holding back a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I think that Microsoft has opened up a pretty clear competitive advantage with Game Pass for sure. Cam, where do you, I mean, how how many more subscribers is Microsoft going to add this year? Do you think? I mean, take it, take a take oh, a reasonable oh, estimate. I mean, because you got Halo at the end of the year, yeah. and you've got all the Bethesda stuff. Like Starfield will be the first probably major new release, whether it ends up being a surprise that's this fall or or maybe more likely Starfield's next year. But all that Bethesda stuff's going to start rolling into day pa- to Game Pass on day one as well. Yeah, I think a big reason as to why we got such a, you know, like they got so many subscribers so like in such a small time is because of the new consoles, you know, the new consoles coming out, like they people hop on the Game Pass. Um, I think I think like. By the end of the year, I could see another maybe five million. Like, I think I think that would be um, like a, a reasonable amount. Like, it's not too much, but I don't think it's like too low either, because who knows? Like, it could just it could stay steady. But I definitely think that like for for the next few months leaving up to the holiday season, it's going to decrease um, a modest amount, but then like pick up again during the holiday season. Uh, so I think five million. I think by the end of the end of the year, they'll hit 23 million. Like they'll, so you, they'll announce 23 million. So you think, I mean, it, it's, it's a fair, it's a reasonable analysis that, that kind of in this drought we're in now, I mean, you look, there's really nothing major coming out for Xbox for really, I, I, I can't think of anything until May. You know, we talked about how big, how many big games are coming out in May. There's not a lot between now and then. So yeah, maybe you're right that it's going to kind of slow down a bit with not a lot of new releases. So uh, Game yeah. Pass continuing to do its thing. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we like they're still like so, like you know, Xbox putting their game first party games on D- Game Pass Day One is great. Like it, it's it's insane. Like to think about still to this to to this day. But like there's still so much, so many good games, like third party games that are on Game Pass that like you know, granted they don't stay stick there forever. Like there's some good ones that are actually like have just left or like going to leave soon. But like, still, there's so much goodness on Game Pass that like, I don't think um, it's it's gonna be that drastic of a decrease. But like, I think I do think that um, you know, I I, I feel like um, I would be like shocked if or like surprised like if it if it got to like 25 million by the end of the year. That would be like wow, like Game Pass is just like unstoppable. <laughs> well, we'll see. I- I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility just because we don't know what's coming out in the fall. And you know that Xbox is going to be loading up as much as possible. And so, and making a huge push. So honestly, depending on what they have as their headline holiday releases, maybe it could, maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't think Halo Infinite's going to make it out this year. We'll see. But if they could have that in day and day. You don't think Halo Infinite's going to make 2021? We'll see. We'll see. It's going through. Uh, it's been going through a lot of development troubles. Yeah. Ooh. 
Wow. I would be, I would happily take that lunch bet with you. If I, uh, <laughs> no, I think that, I think Microsoft really wants to get it out. Don't get me wrong. It's just that there's been so much turnover on the development team and they are very concerned about not having crunch apparently. Like that's, this has been a thing that they've been talking about. And so, and honestly, after the kind of the, the reaction that it got last year, it sounds like they're retooling it on a kind of a large level. So I don't know. It might not be out until early 2022. We'll see. Well, they, an- they announced a few days ago that like the game is playable in a complete sense. Like all they're doing now mm-hmm. is is polish. Okay. So okay. I, I, it has to come out this year. Like if, if they're just in the polishing phase for for uh, for ten months, I'm going to be like, what? We have a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, in a bit of bad news, we got we got a little bit more time here. Passing along the, the PSA, Ninja Theory's uh, Bleeding Edge, which is only 10 months old. You may remember that um, that multiplayer 3v3 kind of a melee combat game. It will no longer be updated. There, the, the support's going to come to a halt on that one. With Ninja Theory saying, quote, With the studio now focusing on our new projects, Hellblade 2, Senua's Saga, Project Mara, and the Insight Project, we have decided that there will be no further content updates for Bleeding Edge. The game is still playable on Xbox and PC. Thank you to the fans uh, and for, and teaming up and causing chaos. And I guess the the thing I would want to say here is, I mean, it's a shame, but it's kind of it's it's a really tough world out there. I mean, when this was a game that was not terrible, but not great either, and fine just doesn't cut it in the in the multiplayer space these days i mean it's so cutthroat when you when you're competing for people's time and attention against call of duty warzone apex legends fortnite i mean it's it's tough to get any attention uh cam have you had you even picked this game up at all at any point and uh, the reason, and the reason why that is, um, you know, I, I I like Ninja Theory as a developer, but uh, I'm a big Overwatch player, and um, this was just like, oh, this is like melee Overwatch for the most part, and I was just like, this is not going to remotely compete. Like, it just wasn't. It was one of those things where, like, I, you know, I I always appreciate Ninja Theory because they always make very unique games, even though it is like, you know, kind of a uh, Overwatch, I don't want to say Overwatch clone, but like it's comparable to Overwatch in the sense of its design. That like, I, I, I just, I just, I just was like this is going to be dead on arrival. Like this, it, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't dead on arrival per se, but like it just, it just, it's not gonna, it's just not gonna meet, <laughs> it's not gonna compete. You know, it's simply enough. So um, it, it, it is, it is uh, like sad to to know that it they're not getting any updates for the dedicated community that that plays the game, but. Um, you know, it they're moving that team to work on like Hellblade, which is definitely their like top tier project right now. Um, that is going to help Xbox like kind of be p- put in the good graces of like those that think that like oh Xbox has like no good exclusives and things like that. So um, it's kind of a bittersweet thing. Yeah, and I, you you case in point, you just said like well you play Overwatch and this was not appealing enough to you to to pull you away from that. And that's exactly the kind of uphill challenge that it faced. Kat, had you given this a shot at any point along the way? Remember that it was a passion project for the director who, if I recall correctly, she was really into arena-based games because I talked to her for a preview event. And uh, 
Ninja Theory has a very kind of open-ended pitching process where they're happy to green light a lot of like little projects, little things that people are individually working on. And this is one of them. And when they got picked up by Microsoft, it ended up being a, a nice little game that they could just throw day one on the game pass. And now it's kind of run its course and that's that. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's a shame, you know, that anything has to has to wind down like that. But as you guys kind of alluded to, I'm I'm happy to see those resources get put into Hellblade 2 instead, which is a game that I think a lot of people are looking very forward to. All right, time for the loot box segment. This is an open-ended, uh, just a listener will ask a que- an open-ended Xbox question of the panel. If you guys just click the watch stream right there, you'll be able to see this. Our question comes from Micah in Augusta, Georgia. Go ahead, Micah. Hey, Unlocked Crew. Micah from Augusta, Georgia here. We're always talking about how consumer-friendly Xbox is, but we fail to talk about one of the most consumer-friendly things they do, their rewards point ecosystem. Why is that? Because on the app behind me with Microsoft Rewards and the Bing app on my phone and those Game Pass points, those aren't meaningless. They all add up in a pot that you can redeem for things like Xbox gift cards. Within the last year, I've already got a $50 gift card and I'm almost to my second $50 gift card, which I can use towards things not on Game Pass, and yet nobody talks about it. All you have to do is get achievements or take some surveys or keep a streak of weekly quests going. What's the deal? Well, that is a that is an excellent call from Micah because I I wanted to play that more more because I feel like Micah has figured out the system and that that's a PSA for everybody. I mean, yeah. I, like Cam, have you uh, have you dabbled in any of the rewards stuff that Microsoft's got going on? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I recently actually just started uh, like I enrolled in the kind of monthly redemption to get a ten dollar gift card every month uh, using like ten thousand points and. Yeah, if you if you play Game Pass uh, specifically, uh, getting those rewards, th- those points add up quick. Those points add up real quick. Um, and there's yeah, there's a great number of rewards that you can do. Some are like you know some sweepstakes and things like that. But like yeah, like it's like oh here's a month of Game Pass for this many points. Here's a ten dollar Xbox uh, you know currency f- for this many points. It's a really great system uh, that I-, I I do feel is uh, overlooked and. Um, uh, underappreciated but it's it's a it's really great so there you go micah from augusta excellent loot box question as my voice lovingly cracks right there that was fun <laughs> um we'll hit it in post no we won't it'll be left in there and the internet will mock me and it's fine but if you have a loot box question for the panel something about xbox that you would like to ask us so that we can discuss it we take these now as yappa video comments so just go to the Go to this episode's page on IGN. So just Google IGN Unlocked 480. Scroll down to the comments, and you'll see right above the comments, you can leave the Yappa video comment. You don't need to make a Yappa account. You can sign in with any number of accounts that you probably already have one or more of, and just leave your video question for the panel, and I'll pull another one for next week's show. And now it's trivia time. Cam knows about this. Cat may not. So, Cat, we do Xbox trivia every week. The audience sends it in. I screen it. I pick a good one, and I try to. The audience tries to stump the panel. We keep score all year, and then the winner gets a a an, a listener made trophy. In fact, the the 2020 trophy just arrived at our office, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to presenting that to Brandon Tyrell uh, as soon as we can get that into his hands. 
For this week, the question comes from Johnny Pomato, whose gamer tag is Pomatovich, and he asks, this is a really good one. I, and I will say I got stumped right here, so we'll, we'll see how you guys do. Which game ended with the potentially missable opportunity for an achievement that could only be acquired if you, quote, took a minute to think and avoided touching any button on the controller for 60 seconds as you reflected on all you accomplished during the game? So was this, a, was this achievement found in Assassin's Creed 3, Spec Ops The Line, Prince of Persia, this would be the 2008 version, uh, or enslaved Odyssey, uh, excuse me, Odyssey to the West. Talking about ninja theory. Cam, I'll go your way first. Any, uh, I don't know if any of these, this rings true or familiar to you at all, because it sure didn't for me. I'm based off of, how, like, based off its narrative and how I know, like, just kind of like the themes that it plays with, um, I'm going to go Spec Ops the Line. All right. I, I see where you would go with that. Kat, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with Cam just because Spec Up the Line is a really dark game that kind of goes out and subverts the first person shooter. And it's really memorable for that reason. So I could totally see it as having that particular achievement. Though my second choice would be Enslaved Odyssey to the West just because that game is so gorgeous. And I could totally have you th imagine them making you think about you know, completing the journey and being like, ah, oh, time to reflect. Well, both well-reasoned arguments uh, from both of you here. You're sticking together ultimately on Spec Ops The Line. It was actually Prince of Persia, believe it or not. And I did, Ooh, I went and looked okay. this up and I went and found it. Uh, and sure enough, yeah, it was, it was at the, the, the 2008 Prince of Persia. So yes, uh, Johnny stumped us all. So bravo, Johnny, us. that was a good one. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, to be clear, with these trivia questions, I don't pick questions that I think are just completely something that no one could possibly know, like some crazily obscure thing. But this, I thought, was just interesting enough where maybe one or more of us would have would have gotten this achievement or heard about it. And But no, Johnny uh, stumped us. Great work. So if any of you out there have a good Xbox trivia question, feel free to send it in for consideration on a future episode. You can email it to unlocked at IGN.com. Please include the question for multiple choice answers. Note the correct one in your email. And we will, uh, we'll of course, play again next week when we'll see if more of the regular panel is back. But that will, uh, we're kind of winding down here. Kat, it was great having you here, number one. Uh, number two, where can the audience find you? If they want to listen to your podcast, follow you on Twitter. I know you're on Twitch as well. This is the time for now that you've won over a lot of new uh, fellow Mass Effect 1 fans or maybe the angry Mass Effect 2 fans want to come. Yeah, I'm just kidding. No, but where <laughs> where can everybody uh, say hi to you at? Hi, I'm Kat Bailey. I'm on Twitter at the underscore Catbot, and you can listen to my podcast, Acts of the Blood God. It's on Spotify and wherever you find your podcasts. I also have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And uh, this might be of interest to Xbox owners. This month, we're doing a Pantheon Game Club where we're playing through Final Fantasy VIII, which is currently available on Xbox Game Pass. And at the end of it, we're going to be recording a big old episode in which we break down everything about Final Fantasy VIII and determine whether it deserves to go in the Pantheon. So check Ooh, that out. I like that. That is a, that cool. is a fun... 
I like a video game club, like a book club. That is mm-hmm. that is clever. I like that a lot. Cam, how about you, my friend? Where can everybody find you? What are you up to? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CamFinalMix, and I write for DualShockers.com, and you can follow DualShockers at DualShockers, and I stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash CamFinalMix, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time. Excellent. Well, and then as for me, I'm on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. Uh, on IGN.com, I haven't written anything lately, but Kat has. Please go read her very thorough, in-depth Mass Effect Legendary Edition preview. Uh, it is excellent. You've got, I mean, you probably don't have to watch the video that's tied to that at this point, honestly, if you just sat through the entire podcast because we just covered all that and more. But it is still worth uh, checking out Cat's preview. There's a lot of great detail in there. And what else? Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think of what, I mean, we, uh, I guess I, we didn't mention real fast. Uh, there's a new update for Sea of Thieves out that allows you to play at 120 frames per second on Sea of Thieves, Ooh. which is pretty cool. Wow. So it's a it's 1080p 120 or 4K mm. 60. Those are two excellent choices, whichever way you'd want to go on that. Uh, and I guess uh, shout out to IO Interactive, who Hitman 3, they announced, has already made back its development costs after just one week on sale. They say, we've been really happy with the Hitman 3 journey. Uh, It's been a labor of love between our fans and everyone else at the studio. As the developer and publisher, we're immensely proud uh, of that we can say Hitman 3 is already profitable. We have recouped the total project costs in less than a week, uh, which is really cool to see because A, it's a great game. B, they're on their own. It's like when you're tied to a big publisher, you know, you've got trade-offs, right? It's, you can, if your game underperforms, you've got that safety net of the publisher that your studio won't necessarily close down. But at the same point, when it super succeeds, big daddy publisher gets a gets a, a larger taste. But when you're all on your own, like IO is now with Hitman, you're sinking or swimming, and it's really great to see them absolutely swimming like Michael Phelps here with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with the success of Hitman 3. So that is really great to see. And uh, we wish them well because they're on to that James Bond game now. Super which, excited about that. Yeah, they said, they even said uh, that it could be, it has the potential to be a trilogy. Let me see if I have the exact quote right here. It was, oh yeah, we have, we also uh, came up with a completely original story for their Bond game. And you could easily imagine that a trilogy could come out of it. And they did confirm something we, we talked about a couple shows ago that they will not be having one of the like existing Hollywood actors who's played James Bond featured in the game, which makes sense because, you know, they're a smaller, they don't have the, the super crazy deep pockets to pay a, a huge fortune to Daniel Craig or one of these other folks to, uh, to use their likeness. So look for a all new video game version of James Bond, but that will about wrap it up for unlocked 480 cam. You were noting we're 20 to go till the big 500. Yep, twenty to go. I won't. I won't be there for it, but it's it's exciting regardless. <laughs> well, you'll we know you we know you'll be watching, listening. Uh, yeah, gosh, I don't even know twenty. That's like that's like uh, still August, away, like that. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a little ways out, but we'll get there. Preemptive we'll congratulations. Get <laughs> Thank yeah. you. That's that's assuming July. that you know nothing. That a meteor doesn't hit the Earth in the next in the next twenty weeks. Not weeks, on wood. But... <laughs> 
Still but anyway, time. yeah, well, yeah, it's just, you know, <laughs> we'll keep podcasting as long as, as long as the world uh, still allows us to do so. But for Cat Bailey and Cam Hawkins, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Podcast Unlocked, episode 480. Uh, it, we're into February already. And yeah, check out, you know, go play Hitman if you have not already. There's Hitman a good reason why, game. why IO made back their money. Because it's really excellent. Um, speaking of Daniel Craig, though, the second mission of Hitman 3 is kind of like Knives Out. It's really good. It's really good. Ooh. Really oh good. Gosh. Okay, you got me. Knives yeah. out. Okay. Everybody should go play it. Uh, for for Cam and for Cat, I'm Ryan. This was Unlocked 480. We'll see you next week. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.